0: stocks are very much back in focus. In fact, they have been for the last 18 months or so because of what's going on uh, between Ukraine and Russia. Uh, But the focus very much on with what's going on with NATO as well and the potential expansion of NATO, the agreement now that there could well be opportunities here for other countries to join. So these defence businesses, how do you trade them? Why not put them all together into an ETF? Well, joining us now from Han ETF is Tom Bailey. Tom, welcome. Thank you. Uh, now, uh, first of all, before we get on to the ETF we're going to be talking about, about defence, just wanted to get your definition of an ETF. Sure. So
1: an ETF is a, is a fund structure, but typically it's a, it's a basket of stocks, uh, which you can then buy and sell throughout the day. Um, Historically, that's been to gain exposure to uh, kind of the big indices everyone knows, such as the S&P 500 or the FTSE 100. But one of the real developments uh, has been the creation of what we call thematic ETFs. So these are ETFs that will use an in index. Uh, but they'll be tailored to try and capture a certain theme in the world or a certain
0: sector um, to give a bit more niche exposure, target exposure for investors who want that. Mm. Okay, let's pick up on that point then about this theme exposure, uh, and this one we're going to be talking about, which is defence. Uh, what's the ETF called? Uh, I know it will be able to be traded on the IG platform, but just give us some more depth on what it is you're trying to achieve here with this particular ETF plan. Sure. So the, the name of the ETF is the Future of Defence USITS ETF and its ticker is NATO
1: or for the sterling line NATP. Um, and so Future of Defence, meaning it's, it's trying to capture the defence industry, but kind of in, in the future form. Um, so there's several kind of unique aspects to the ETF. Um, so it has its defence uh, and about half the stocks are your kind of conventional defence um, stocks, your, your, your Thales, Leonardo, uh, Raytheon. And to be included in the in the index, those kind of defence companies, conventional defence, have to have at least 50% of the revenue derived from selling defence weapons. Um, and then the other aspect of the portfolio, which is fairly unique, is that it has a large weight in order to cyber security. Mm-hmm. And so these companies are companies which have contracts with governments around the world um, for, for basic cyber defence, because the idea being that in the 21st century, an integral part of any national security defence plan or, 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 or kind of... Uh, infrastructure is also cyber in that it's it 's a, it's a new domain of warfare and you 're seeing it all the time in terms of different countries um, using cyber operations alongside military operations or in the absence of military operations um, to carry out cyber attacks on on states they might not be at war with, but they have uh, a sort of antagonistic or hostile relationship with and then the final kind of unique aspect of the ETf which is kind of shown in the ticker is is the ticker being nato is that what we try to do here is provide exposure to uh, the companies which are providing. Um, services or equipment to NATO or NATO allied countries. So that's the soon to be 32 members of NATO, uh, as well as the the list of NATO plus members, which is defined by the United States government, of those which work in close um, close alliance with, with NATO uh, members in the United States.
0: Mm. Let's pick up on that um, definition of of NATO, uh, the North Atlantic Treaty uh, organisation, and uh, work all this round into which stocks we've got here. They Are they stocks that have to be on an exchange in a NATO country? Or are they stocks that represent companies that sell to other NATO countries? Because clearly you don't want to be looking at engaging uh, companies that sell outside of NATO, presumably. The whole point is to try and keep it within the NATO region, is that right? Well, yeah, so it, it, what, what we've done is is the companies uh, on the conventional
1: defence side have to be domiciled within a NATO or NATO Plus member. So the business, operate, their, the business structure is in a NATO country. Uh, obviously within that there's scope to be setting outside of the NATO alliance right. um, and it's very hard to, to try and just determine those sitting just to NATO because there'll, there'll be countries uh, which, which uh, are, are not seen as necessarily pariah states that mm. still might sit outside the NATO NATO alliance yeah. that will still have uh, will still, will still be customers of these companies so to, to go that route it would have been a bit too narrow so we've tried to keep it uh, a bit more open in terms of they've got to be domiciled in, in NATO or NATO plus.
0: Of course the whole point is that this global, it is a global market isn't it? That's yeah. the whole thing isn't it? Of course you're, you're right uh, there are not necessarily rogue states that are, just because they're outside NATO doesn't mean they're rogue states. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the cybersecurity thing, things. So that's really interesting. Uh- Relatively recent development. I mean, countries have been selling arms to each other for, for many, many decades. But cybersecurity is a new area. Um, any particular things we ought to know about that? Because it it involves a, a lot. And of course, a lot of what we now know to be risks, global risks, come from countries that are perhaps maybe at odds with the NATO, I'm thinking about North Korea particularly. Yeah. Uh, so that's a really big area of the world where we, we, we talk about the, the risks from cybersecurity. What about the cybersecurity aspect of the of the ETF? Sure. So what what we've done for the methodology for sex and the cybersecurity companies is
1: ensure they've got a contract, uh, or various contracts, with NATO members in terms of uh, with with the states of those countries, um, into to try and kind of gain that exposure in terms of the the national defense aspect, and that's very important. Um, a great example would be something like uh, AT&T Networks, which is inside the index. Um, they have a contract, as an American company, they have a contract with uh, Turkey, an ETA member, with the Turkish government for Turk Telecom, which is to protect Turk Telecom against uh, malicious actors trying to take it down. And this kind of brings back to the wider point about cybersecurity, because this is a, te- Turk Telecom is, is, is a kind of quasi-state public company, um, but the point is there's a key piece of national infrastructure there. And so, a hostile state that had uh, some sort of disagreements or, or hostilities with Turkey would obviously a key part of that would be potentially taking down their vital infrastructure, including their telecoms infrastructure network. So, it's, it's partly it's the, the kind of the, the states themselves, and and, and they're obviously up, uh, increasing their cyber capabilities in terms of you see various task forces in NATO on this. And at the same time, companies that play a vital role in in a country, uh, they need to also be protected uh, from. From basically malicious actors, which often are motivated by geopolitical um, motivations, and so it's trying to, uh, and again exposure to that growth, and you can see this in terms of after the 2014 invasion of um, Ukraine by Russia, uh, there were multiple multiple cyber attacks were carried out, um, taking down ATMs, mm-hmm. uh, taking down energy grids, and so this is a big worry for for, for any government is that um, whether it's a full blown war, uh, as as now has happened in Ukraine, or it's a kind of lingering. Hostilities, such as between Iran and Israel, or, or or North Korea and America, you can see these hostilities, these kind of hostile actions taking place, and they're affecting not just the the, the kind of states. It's not just taking down um, intelligence uh, agencies, computers. It's also affecting banks and energy and the other areas that are vital for a country actually just to maintain operating.
0: Let's take a look at the opportunity to trade this. As you said, an ETF is a a basket of different securities which which brings together a common theme which is what you're demonstrating here. Uh, When did it start? What was the first date at which you launched this ETF? Sure, so we listed
1: it on the London Stock Exchange on the 4th of July, um, also listed on Zetra in
0: Frankfurt and on the 14th of July it will be listed on Borsa Italiana. Mm, I'm interested in the date because it's actually possible to include backdated information. Lists. Have, you, have you compiled that? Because the chart is quite long compared to the recent date of launch.
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, EQM indexes provides the index for this. Um, and so they created the methodology to basically what would, what would be the rules be for inclusion of stocks. And then they can apply those rules going back in terms of what stocks would be included over that period of time, uh, whether it's in, if it's two years prior or three years, four years. And then worked out what those stocks were, and then you can provide performance of that uh, historic kind of uh, time period <laughs> yeah. before. Because I just mentioned what an ETF is. An ETF is often used to track an index, right? And so the ETF is just giving exposure to that index um, over over that period of time. The ETF has only been available um, since the fourth of July, but the index uh, has 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 been uh, for for several more months live. It's been um, a constructed index with all the constituents in there and then you can work out those rules to work out what would be in it in in previous years.
0: ESG, we talk a lot about this. I'm I'm always uh, being asked to ask the question of chief executives and fund managers about funds and their relevance to ESG. Um, A lot of investors now will not invest in anything that hasn't got an ESG sort of compliant angle to this. What do you say to those those people that say, well, hang on, we're talking about defence companies here, which don't normally fit into the normal ESG definition? Yeah, as you say, uh, lots of ESG screens have historically, uh, by default,
1: excluded uh, arms manufacturers. Um, and, and that reflects a certain view. Um, our, our view would be one, we'd say we've tried to, well, we would not try and portray this fund as ESG. It's obviously outside sure. of um, the, the, the kind of remit of what's conventional ESG, so we don't want to go into kind of pretending something that's not. Applying the NATO screen we think is trying to apply something, some other standard of trying to gain exposure to, say, responsible geopolitical actors, those inside NATO. Um, but the broader point would be um, the the idea of automatically excluding defence companies on the base of ESG. We've seen in the past year... Uh, or bit longer now 500 days uh, just over since the, the initial invasion happened over that mm-hmm. period of time we've seen um, we've seen some uh, asset managers across Europe start to question this automatic exclusion of arms manufacturers on the basis that actually is it so irresponsible which is the part they get excluded on to, um, for the, to for a company to be producing weapons which are used to defend the sovereignty of, of a country that's being invaded? Uh, it is not an automatic, necessarily, uh, in, in many people's minds, uh, automatically a bad thing. We all, we all accept the need for nation states to have armies and therefore have them equipped. Mm. Um, so it, it, we don't, in our everyday, think of um, A a, a kind of states having a military as beyond the pale, and so it's kind of a question of well, why should then we automatically always exclude the the companies which provide the vital equipment for them actually to be worth
0: something? It's very subjective. You're you're absolutely right. Uh, Look, um, one final question has to be: What's the outlook uh, for the defence sector? And I suppose as a result of that, we could then imply what the potential is for this NATO ETF. What do you see as the future uh, six ten? 10, 12 months or so for the defence Well,
1: I think a very important thing will be, uh, that. so as we're currently speaking, um, there's the Vilnius summit going on for NATO, and uh, a key part of that will be beyond the question of Ukraine inclusion, which caused some trouble in headlines. The key part is about getting these countries within NATO, and particularly European NATO countries, to actually commit and act upon the 2% of um, of GDP defense spending so all NATO members several years ago agreed that they need to spend a minimum 2% of GDP on defense as of now majority are not meeting it In the past year some have started to meet it um, a notable example would be Poland which is now going for 4% of GDP um, but you still you have France Netherlands Germany they're all coming under this 2% of GDP spending target and now the big talking point at the summit has been actually the target should now no longer be thought of as a target but should be thought of as a flaw. So each NATO member should be thinking of 2% as the minimum they should be spending rather than something to try and actually just reach and be happy with. And so that obviously requires large amounts of more spending on, on, on defence equipment, and, and this should be captured by, by those producing, producing said equipment.
0: Interesting. Uh, Tom, i have to leave you there, but thanks indeed for joining us with that look at an ETF which represents what's going on uh, around NATO. That's Tom Bailey from Han ETF.